Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Saturday, March 25th, 2023. It's been 3,314 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 395 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that Russian combat potential is fading across the entire theater of war, and the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective. Second, we assess that the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut remains in a critical state and is fluid, but defensive lines have been stabilized. Third, We maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, that's seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. Fourth, we maintain that Russian forces are experiencing a perceived shortage of non-precision artillery munitions theater-wide. Fifth, We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, continues to target Ukraine's power industry. Sixth, we maintain that the Russian MOD is actively working to eliminate the influence of private military company, or PMC, Wagner Group, and its leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, both on and off the battlefield. Seventh, We maintain the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. And finally, we maintain the Kremlin is also actively interfering with the Georgian government's attempt to join the European Union. One year ago yesterday, on March 24, 2022, east of Kyiv, Ukrainian forces fought to liberate Nova Basan, and completed the liberation of Lukyanivka. Russian forces attacked Slavyutych, where many Chernobyl nuclear power plant workers lived and were transiting through Belarus to the NPP. NASA firm's data showed that up to 12,000 Russian troops northeast of Kyiv were in a deep salient and at risk of being encircled. West of Kyiv, Irpin was 80% liberated, and mop-up operations were handed over to the Foreign Legion comprised of United States and Georgian volunteers. In Kharkiv, the city was heavily shelled, and at a post office where people had gathered to receive humanitarian aid, Uragan rockets armed with cluster munitions were used, killing nine. 
The Russian MOD falsely claimed that Izum was captured as intense fighting continued. Ukrainian forces shelled Chornobyevka airport near Kherson and reported that Russian forces had been pushed out of Mykolaiv Oblast. Russian forces broke through Ukrainian defenses in Mariupol, advancing three kilometers and capturing the city prosecutor's office and the town hall. Police General Vyacheslav Abroskin of Mariupol offered to turn himself over to Russian officials unconditionally if they would allow the children of Mariupol to evacuate. The offer was refused. Further north, Russian forces captured the village of Sladkoye. In Berdyansk, a Ukrainian Tachkyu SRBM slammed into the Russian LSS Saratov, marking the first time a ballistic missile sank a warship in naval history. Port operations had been featured in a Russian state media story on March 21st, showing the LL Orsk being unloaded and dozens of military vehicles on the main dock. Initial reports indicated the Orsk had been sunk, but the vessel had sailed out of the port on the 23rd. The Saratov was full of ammunition and military hardware, had multiple secondary explosions, and sank with all hands on board. The LLS Novocherkask and Admiral Kunikov were damaged in the blast, with the Novocherkask burning for 12 hours. A civilian cargo ship also sank. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, fighting continued in Khryanikivka and Masyutivka with no change in the situation. That's basically it. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. The situation was stable in the Svatova operational area, with Ukrainian and Russian sources reporting Novoselivske and Stelmechivka were shelled. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported that Svatova was hit by two rockets fired by HIMARS, but did not provide any additional information. In the Kremina operational area, Russian mercenary mill bloggers Gonzo reported continued fighting near Makievka. Ukrainian sources reported significant fighting in the area of Ploshanka, with no change in the situation. Fighting in the forested areas west of Kremina continued, with Russian troops continuing their attempts to advance on Terny without success. Serhii Cherevati, a spokesperson for the Eastern Group of Forces of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, reported that in fighting near Kremina, dozens of Russian troops were killed and wounded, with two POWs taken. We could not independently verify the claim. Fighting also continued in the Serebriansky woods near the Seversky-Donetsk River floodplain, with no change in the situation. Russian forces continued their attacks on Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, and were unsuccessful. The Ukrainian government created a new city military administrative district for the occupied areas of Severodonetsk, Kirske, and Popazna. The administrative district will restore services and provide humanitarian aid to the civilian population after liberation. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, we made several adjustments to the map based on new intelligence and terrain analysis. 
Russian forces continued attacks east of Verkhnokamyanskye. A geolocated video showed how Russian light infantry forces without armored support attempted to advance on Ukrainian positions southeast of the village through the open lowlands. Fighting was intense, but ultimately the attack was repulsed. Based on this new information, we expanded the gray area and moved the line of conflict west of Zolotorivka based on terrain analysis. Fighting also continued east and south of Spirne, with no change in the situation. In the Bakhmut operational area, Russian forces advanced in the southeast and along the west bank of the Bakhmutovka River, while Ukrainian forces pushed Russian troops back in the northwest. Some assessment here. We continue to see no indications of a Russian effort to encircle Bakhmut. The strategy of squeezing Ukrainian forces out through superior numbers of inferior quality troops through attritional warfare continues. North of Bakhmut, a geolocated video demonstrated that Russian forces continue to struggle with a lack of anti-tank guided missiles, or ATGMs, and man-portable anti-tank weapons. A Ukrainian tank advanced down the M3, or E-40, highway from Minkivka, engaged Russian troops with impunity less than 250 meters away, and retreated. The video is graphic, not suitable for work, and some viewers may find it disturbing. As with most of the photos and videos we reference here on the podcast, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. PMC Wagner and Russian forces continued their attacks on Orikhovo-Vasilivka with no change in the situation. North of Bohdanivka and Khromova, Ukrainian forces made incremental gains, relieving pressure off the T-506 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line. A Ukrainian report from Bakhmut stated, quote, The fight for Khromova ended in our favor, and for Ivanivska as well. End quote. Intense fighting continued in Bakhmut, with Russian forces and PMC Wagner making documented gains in several areas. Russian forces either crossed the Bakhmutovka River or advanced down the West Bank from the industrial district to a parking garage structure on Trudova Street, where a geolocated video showed ongoing fighting. Our team assessed it was more likely Russian forces moved through the marshes from the industrial district versus completing a contested wet crossing, which is not their strength. We expanded Russian control on the West Bank and within the industrial district. Russian forces attempted to advance along the east bank of the Pivnichny Reservoir, southwest of the industrial district, but were repulsed by Ukrainian forces. Russian and Ukrainian forces continued to trade artillery fire, NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, showed intense thermal anomalies caused by Russian artillery in the center of Bakhmut and in the area where the MiG-17 statue once stood. Ukrainian forces were shelling the northern industrial district and north of the Pivnichny Reservoir. One Ukrainian soldier described the situation in the center of Bakhmut as, quote, hell. To the southeast, Fighting continued in the Sobachivka district of Bakhmut, with the Mariupol cemetery falling under Russian control and Ukrainian forces withdrawing from the salient north of Opitne. The line of conflict has reached Mariupolska Street, with ongoing fighting for control of the police station on the T-513 highway. Okay, some assessment. While the situation in Bakhmut has deteriorated, 
There are no signs that Ukrainian forces are at risk of a technical or operational encirclement, and Russian forces lack armor support and key weapons. Russian forces have increased artillery intensity by channeling resources into Bakhmut to the detriment of offensive activity in the Kremina, Avdivka, Marinka, and Wuhledar operational areas. The biggest concern is Trudova Street and the possibility that Russian forces have established a wet crossing into Bakhmut. If this is accomplished, the defensive situation for Ukraine will deteriorate rapidly only if Russian forces have enough remaining combat potential to capitalize on the theoretical operational success. Fighting continued near Ivanivsky with no change in the situation. Ukrainian forces can still use the T-504 highway G-lock, but it frequently comes under artillery fire. The GSAFU reported that Russian troops continued attempts to establish stronger positions on the west bank of the Seversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal in the direction of Stupochki and Predtechne without success. In Kramatorsk, troops rotating off the front lines were greeted by battle buddies, loved ones, and sometimes by no one. A photographer captured scenes of elation, exhaustion, and emptiness. And again, we do link to the photos in our full situation report on Patreon. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. In southwest Donetsk, in the northern sector of the Avdiivka operational area, fighting continued with no changes in the situation. Ukrainian forces repelled attacks in the areas of Novokalinova, Kiramik, Novobakhmutivka, and Stepova. To the south of Avdiivka, Russian forces continue to make large attacks using light infantry with no armor or artillery support, experiencing catastrophic casualties. 11th Brigade 1st Army Corps Commander Alexander Khodakovsky confirmed our assessment that Ukrainian drone attacks had increased significantly and have become more sophisticated, writing, quote, Now they are attacking in groups of several drones. Some act as a decoy for our counter-drone guns, while others try to break through and strike, end quote. A geolocated video showed Russian forces had been pushed out of their positions west of Vodyana, almost to the village center, with Ukrainian armored vehicles freely operating. We move the line of conflict east based on the available intelligence and terrain analysis and reduced the gray zone. We also extended the gray zone approximately 500 meters towards Sieverne as Russian Mobics under the command of the 1st Army Corps continued attempts to advance without success. Having lost the ability to attack Pervomaiske from the north, Russian forces continued attempts to advance into the eastern part of the village from Piski without success. Oleksiy Dimitrashkivsky, the spokesperson for the defense force of the Tavria region, told reporters, quote, In the area of Avdiivka, it is not so hot anymore, end quote, adding that Russian troops are, quote, breathing their last breath, end quote, as combat potential continues to erode. Quick sidebar. Not so hot in this case means the intensity of fighting has diminished. In U.S. American English, not so hot can mean not feeling well or it's a bad situation. 
For example, the Russians' experience with contested wet crossings has been not so hot. In the Marinka operational area, Russian forces continued attempts to push Ukrainian forces out of the ruins of Marinka. The self-declared acting leader of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, and former casino card dealer, Denis Pushilin, told Russian state media news agency TASS that liberation will be completed after taking control of a, quote, small area in the western part of the city, end quote. If this sounds like a familiar claim by Pushilin, you would be correct with him claiming that just a little slice of Western Marinka is all Russia needs to capture since August 6, 2022. The claim is false, based on the intelligence we covered yesterday, with the line of conflict unchanged for months in what was the city's center. Further south, fighting for control of the Poby the Pig Farm continued with no change in the situation. In the Wuhlidar operational area, the 1st Army Corps decided that March 24, 2023 was a good day to attack Ukrainian positions east of Novomikhailivka. After more than nine years of trying, today was still not their day. Sidebar, if you're a newer listener, multiple Russian commanders and mill bloggers have reported that head-on attacks on Novomikhailivka are pointless because of the strength of Ukrainian defenses. But for nine years, inexplicably, the First Army Corps has made repeated attempts to capture the settlement. In Mariupol, insurgents filmed Russian trucks carrying ammunition moving through the city toward Donetsk. In Donetsk, video showed a large explosion in the Budyonovsky district, which is in the city's eastern part. The size of the blast was consistent with ammunition detonating. Moving on to Zaporizhia, where there were no updates on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, a year after the sinking of the LLS Sarantov in Berdyansk, leaders of the Black Sea fleet acknowledged the incident and the loss of all crew members in a memorial service. The severely damaged LSS Novocherkask has yet to re-enter service, with the missile strike killing crew members on the vessel and its sister ship, the Admiral Cesar Kunikov. NATO made a show of force after a Russian Su-27 crashed into a United States MQ-9 Reaper drone on March 14th. A British Royal Air Force KC-135 rivet joint flew through the Russian self-declared exclusion zone, supported by two Eurofighter Typhoon FGR-4 fighter aircraft. We had assessed that the human-crewed intelligence flights with fighter escorts would replace drone flights for several weeks. There weren't any Hero Su-27 pilots in sight. Operational Command South, or OCS, did not state the number of vessels on patrol with the Black Sea Fleet, and partisans in Russian-occupied Sevastopol did not share fleet operation information. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces fired on each other's positions across the Dnipro River. Russian forces completed 67 fire missions, firing 301 artillery rounds, mortars, rockets, and indirect tank fire, striking the city of Kherson seven times, killing two and wounding six. In Bereslav, Russian forces used a drone to drop an IED on the city administration building, which was shelled just the day before. Local officials reported, quote, 
Many windows were broken in the blast, but there were no injuries. There was limited information on the Shahed 136 drone strike on Jitomir during the overnight hours of March 23rd, beyond power was knocked out to over 5,000 households and had been partially restored. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Cherniv Oblast, the settlement of Horodishche was shelled with 120-millimeter mortars from across the Russian border. The attack killed one person when a mortar struck their house, destroying it and setting it on fire. In Sumy, Bilopilia suffered the heaviest attack of the war. Up to 10 Russian Su-35 aircraft launched 11 JDAM-34 Fab 500 M62 guided bombs from outside the range of Ukrainian air defenses. In addition, the city was hit by 80 Grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, and 20 152mm artillery shells. A 37-year-old police lieutenant responding to the report of the initial bombing was killed, and four police officers were wounded in a so-called double-tap attack. A security guard at a school was also killed, and four civilians were injured. Apartment buildings, private homes, and a dormitory were severely damaged due to the overnight attack. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Yuri Ignat, the spokesperson for the Air Force Command of the Ukrainian Armed Forces, announced that foreign pilots with proper credentials and experience would be accepted into the Air Force of Ukraine. Ignat told reporters that since the start of the war, thousands of people had contacted the Air Force wanting to serve, including pilots, mechanics, and aviation engineers. He noted that Ukraine currently has more pilots than equipment for its Soviet-era aircraft and would seek pilots and engineers with training on NATO warplanes, such as the F-16 Falcon. Sweden announced a new aid package that includes additional Archer 155mm self-propelled howitzers, 155mm ammunition, and air defense systems. Germany also announced a new aid package to Ukraine, including Dach's armored engineering systems based on the Leopard 2 chassis, MG-3 machine guns, spare parts for Leopard 2 tanks and martyr infantry fighting vehicles, and drone detection systems. United States President Joe Biden said there is no evidence that China has sent weapons to Russia. At a joint press conference with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Biden said, quote, For the past three months, I've heard that China is going to provide Russia with a significant amount of weapons. It hasn't happened yet. That's not to say it won't happen. End quote. Speaking of not happening, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. Sergei Aksyonov, the Russian-appointed puppet leader of occupied Crimea, created a private military company called Convoy in collaboration with Konstantin Pikalov, a lieutenant of Yevgeny Prigozhin and the supervisor of PMC Convoy in Africa. The company reports they have 300 mercenaries, mostly comprised of former Wagner fighters. Deputy Chairman of the Security Council of the Russian Federation and nuclear weapons enthusiast Dmitry Medvedev is going through some things today. During a meeting with his staff, he announced that Russia would build 1,500 new tanks before the end of 2023 
quoting Stalin in the process. He read a telegram, like a for realsies old-school paper telegram, that War Daddy Stalin sent during World War II, stating, quote, I ask you to carry out the orders for the supply of tank shells to the Chelyabinsk tractor factory plant honestly and on time. Now I ask and hope that you will fulfill your duty to the fatherland. After a few days, if you prove to be violators of your duty to the fatherland, I will start smashing you as criminals who have disregarded the honor and interests of your fatherland. It is unacceptable that your troops are suffering at the front from the lack of tanks while you, in the distant rear, are lazing about and loafing. End quote. Currently, Russia only has one operating tank factory that can produce 20 to 25 main battle tanks a month due to sanctions, parts restrictions, and staffing shortages caused by mobilization into the military. Medvedev is demanding a 700% increase in production that, unless Russia plans to start producing T-34 and T-54 tanks that lack all aspects of even early Cold War technology, is an impossible task. In a sign that two days of meetings with Chinese President Xi Jinping didn't yield what Russia hoped for, Medvedev lamented that Russia is finding itself alone in the world, saying, quote, When there was the Tsarist regime, the empire, we had allies. They were changing. Germany, France, whatever, then Entente, then not Entente. But we were not alone. And now, for the first time in at least 150 years, we are alone. End quote. Well, as the saying goes, you attract more bees with honey than with genocide. Okay, quick sidebar. They get so close to reading the room and figuring it out, yet they are so far. Further, they aren't alone. They have North Korea, Belarus, Iran. That, that's okay. That, I mean, that's basically it. The 19 surviving members of the Russian 5th Brigade, 1st Corps, 8th Army from Kaliningrad, recorded a video appeal to Russian Tsar President Vladimir Putin, appealing for his intervention to save the remaining troops. This is the 22nd video in six weeks. The unit started with 161 Mobiks sent to Vodyana to defend 1,000 meters of trenches for 14 days. They received no heavy weapons, armor, or artillery support. Their commander was among the 22 killed, and another 34 were wounded, rendering the unit combat ineffective. However, they were held in place in the open trenches by Russian blocking units that threatened to shoot anyone who tried to leave the front line. After being rotated from the front, unit members were systematically required to pay a 20,000-ruble, quote, tax to their unknown DNR commanders. Those that could not or who refused were sent back to the front line, including the wounded. Only 12% of the unit remained at the time of their appeal. They reported that their military IDs were confiscated when they were transferred to the DNR and have no orders, service records, IDs, or passports. Like the 21 units before them, they don't exist. And because they are, from an administrative standpoint, volunteers of the DNR, their deaths are not counted in official statistics. After their initial 14-day deployment in Vodyana, their killed-in-action-to-wounded-in-action ratio was an absolutely shocking one to one and a half. 
Regular Russian units are still a terrible one to two and a half. Ukrainian forces are an estimated one to three and a half, while the United States over the last 20 years was hovering around one to eight. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.